LinkedIn presents. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page, and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Jim Wedekam about risks facing the business landscape and their impacts on the HR function. Jim Wedekamp, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks much, John. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you today. We're going to be talking about risk facing the business landscape today and those impacts on the HR function and, and people managers and leaders in the workplace. There's a lot of different forms of risk right now. Uh, so we're going to unpack what those look like and what those impacts will be. As we get started, I wanted to share Jim's bio with everybody. Jim Wedekamp is the Chief Executive Officer of RiskConnect, Inc., a leading provider of integrated risk management software. He is a recognized expert on enterprise risk, supply chain, and third-party risk management. Uh, Jim, anything else you would like to highlight about your background before we dive on into the broader conversation? I think it lends itself to this particular dialogue. In any case, I think the um, the integration of risk and uh, and employee engagement, wellness, the environment that um, you know your people and your team within your ecosystem and outside is another area that um, certainly tacks on to risk, cyber, uh, and all of the the things related to it in supply chain. And you just mentioned a, a few of the connection pieces. Let's let's start by really diving into the landscape today and what are the varieties of different types of risks that we're facing. Uh, we can start to outline some of those and then we can start to see, you know, paint the picture and see how these are impacting the business world generally, but also the HR function more specifically. Sure. Uh, a lot of our inputs from a risk connect standpoint that come in on this topic are, you know, from some of these, the larger global organizations that we work with, thousands of employees across a lot of different geographies, complex supply chains and things like that. And you end up with, you know, three or four macro categories of conversation that are certainly front of mind right now for um, the the risk organizations and committees within those kinds of organizations. It's going to be things like the macroeconomic downturn. So what's happening with the increased cost of capital or inflation? How is EU environment and conflict, energy crisis intertwining? So that's one that kind of leads to another one which is interrelated price inflation, um, manufacturing constraints, 
Uh, and that then leads to another behavior where around overzealous cost cutting, streamlining organizations, each of those things then kind of point to the last piece, I guess, is around um, risks on single points of failure on critical infrastructure or key material shortages. So those are all things that are in um, the, con the consistent conversation, I guess, now, and a lot of that also particularly um, centers around the conflict uh, in, in the Ukraine and, and combination of coming out of COVID that have kind of all combined to where we are now. Yeah, and, and my guess is the average individual would probably not think of the war in Ukraine as something that's impacting pe people management and HR function stuff going on in the average organization, say here in the US. So let's make some of those connections. Like sure. how do these macro categories of risk that you just outlined, um, how do they you know, obviously we're in an interconnected global world, uh, you know, supply chains, all those sorts of things. We have no choice but to be impacted by everything's happening all the way across the world. So I think people get that. But like, let's tie some more specific um, connections between why these broader categories of risk are truly impacting every business uh, yeah, here uh, domestically. Yeah, whether you got a footprint there, yeah, yeah. Or, or, or not. And you can kind of take, you know, so that that conflict leading directly to um, reconsidering um, how and where and why you might manufacture in Europe, what energy mm -hmm. consumption and availability looks like that leads to inflationary pricing. If you have employees in that region to begin with, they are then very facing very personal while your business may not be facing impacts because maybe you're not overly dependent upon those supply chains. Maybe you don't have a, an overly large footprint there. Um, from a manufacturing standpoint, uh, if you have people um, that are either there or tier one or tier two suppliers that are there, um, then their wellness um, frame of mind, readiness to work, cohesiveness as a unit has been impacted from two directions. It's the coming back into the way we work in a, in a post-pandemic or co-pandemic world and what that environment looks like as more and more folks are going back to office. At the same time, as facing inflation that outpaces merit increase on facing resource shortages as organizations streamline towards profitability versus growth because they can't get their hands on capital. So all those things that you think about as more macro basis, you can find a sliver of that experience in uh, a lot of your team uh, in terms of the burdens that they bear that can impact efficiency, well-being, availability, and force you to think about um, alternative risk mitigation factors to get on a much more personal level beyond just macro enterprise risk. If we hone in then on like labor market conditions as a result uh, or in reaction to these broader macro risk um, categories, risk factors, uh, certainly, you know, you just touched on that, but certainly there, there's all sorts of implications for an already challenging labor market organizations and already, you know, there's already skills gaps, uh, especially in technical fields, healthcare, you know, some other fields. Um, those are only being exacerbated by some of these other trends that we see, um, which of course are going to make it hard for, for organizations to attract and retain really good people simply to have enough people to, to, to do the jobs that need to be done. There are so many open requisitions out right now, so many unfilled positions, um, and not if we're just talking about just the U.S., but, you know, uh, other countries, too. There's so many unfilled positions and and we're really struggling to find good people uh, 
it's only going to get more challenging as we face these types of conditions. It's an interesting period of time because I can't remember one in, in at least recent memory where you had the combination of as much um, uh, unavailability of talent and resource or as much constraint there at the same time as much fear of job loss yeah. uh, and reduction simultaneously because you can look in subsets of markets that are undergoing tremendous change right now, financial services, technology, et cetera, where you have really, really large impacts having happening to workforces. And in those same markets, um, high um, uh, attract, you know, a need for attracting new resources, um, high focus on employee engagement to keep your critical resources. So it's a, it's a really interesting juxtaposition when you look at it that way as well, that, um, makes it even harder to think about it from a, a risk, a secession planning, um, uh, an employee engagement standpoint to kind of combat those two things simultaneously. If we think about inflation and recession, um, you know, these factors are all having impacts on those concerns and fears and the, and the realities that we've been experiencing. I'm sure anyone in the audience today um, can resonate easily with the inflationary pressures that they've had in their personal lives, um, how that's translated over into their organizations, trying to keep up with, you know, pay inflation, uh, wage inflation, you know, it, if it's already hard to get good people now, you know, I, I was just talking to another colleague, you know, my 15 year old daughter just got a job at In-N-Out Burger making seventeen fifty an hour. Um, <laughs> you know, I should have killed for that uh, uh, at, at that same time frame. Oh, I, I mean, geez, it, it, we're in a different world now, uh, you know, in terms of organizations in, in a, you know, just this arms race around wages and pay um, trying to keep up and in many cases not able to keep up with inflation. Uh, and then coupled with those concerns about downturns and like, do we, do we have too many people, all the tech companies laying off thousands of people, um, you know, because they have overhired over the last few years. So it's, like you said, simultaneously, we have these two things going on that in, traditionally we d- wouldn't see happening at the same time. Uh, and it, it just makes it all the more challenging. So as we think about, you know, whether or not we fully go into a recession or not, it, certainly we're in economically interesting times and challenging times and inflation has taken a toll, uh, how, how are companies working with, you know, slashing budgets, uh, employees, you know, working with employees and trying to combat rising costs, uh, all amidst this, this ongoing economic horizon that we see in say the next year or two. I think from a risk management standpoint, they're really fighting to find their way. And because they've got to um, weigh the, the, opportunity, you know, the missed opportunity versus the risk avoidance versus the cost of kind of two really fundamental decisions. Do I increment or increase my merit focus? So I raise my costs um, in the interest of current employees by either mitigating the rising healthcare benefits or direct merit increases. So, but I am, am I, what am I leaning into in terms of, of helping the current employee combat inflation? versus hiring open positions, unfilled roles, and actually expanding my workforce. So instead, spending those dollars on new resources that potentially take some of the um, burden and workload off of the existing. So, And there's no 
there's no clear-cut win-win in that scenario. If I over-focus on one, um, it will have a short-term benefit, but a long-term degradation because ultimately they will be overworked. They won't be supported by the resources they need. And even though I've helped that that colleague face inflation, I have not given them the tools and resources around them to help them make them long-term successful. Alternatively, um, if uh, I add the resources and continue to try and fight the turnover and lose those critical folks um, with all of that knowledge, I'm going to have increasingly um, less positive results as it, as it relates to expanding my workforce. So there's a balance there that has to be consistently evaluated from an enterprise risk standpoint against what the long-term objectives or goals of the organization are. And that's a lot of tension to put a, a, a company in um, yeah, when you're trying yeah. to balance this quarter, this week, this month to next year um, or, uh, you know, an overall four or five year plan. Yeah, it, it really is. And and it's just so, again, we've already kind of mentioned it a few times, but the, the, the current context, the current macro environment is so unique right now Um that a lot of the old playbooks are kind of being thrown out the window. <laughs> and so we're, we are trying to like kind of build the plane while we're flying it, relearning as we go and hopefully not misstepping too in too serious of ways that are going to hurt us. Um, and so like, that's all about risk, right? All about trying to understand and mitigate the the risks that are we're facing while plotting a course um, that's consistent with our mission, our vision, or, you know, but plotting a, a more flexible strategic course um, that will allow us to pivot um, more rapidly. You know, I think o- over the last few years, companies have had to do that. They've had no choice. Uh, they've had to learn how to pivot or become increasingly irrelevant. And so I, you know, hopefully that means we're up to the challenge a little bit more, a little bit better today than we were, say, three years ago. Um, and perhaps those companies that, were least prepared or already gone. <laughs> They've already, um, uh, you know, struggled to to stay relevant and alive during the pandemic, and maybe they're they're already gone, and we've kind of sifted those out. Um, but it's it's going to continue to be a hard time. And again, when we pull back specifically to look at, uh, you know, or zoom in rather to specifically look at the HR role, the HR function, people management processes, things like employee engagement, um, attracting and retaining great talent. All of those challenges, which have always been challenges in the best of times, are only more um, messy today uh, than they were, you know, say even five, 10 years ago. And it was certainly challenging uh, five or 10 years ago, uh, just so much harder now as we're trying to to look into our crystal ball and try to understand like the economic impacts that are on the horizon. Um, the Another thing that I wanted to touch on for a few minutes is you know, uh, ESG regulations. So this, this is something that has gained a lot of momentum and traction in recent years. Certainly there's industry-based norms and expectations around corporate social responsibility, triple bottom line, ESGs, and those sorts of things, those sorts of things. But what we've seen happening more and more is these are getting codified into law. So now we have more and more organizations that are being required, whether they're inclined to or not, in and of themselves, they, they're they being required to comply with the, an ever-changing landscape of ESG regulations. How, how do companies add that to the mix of thinking about how they're going to be responding to and navigating this, this economic downturn, perhaps a recession, certainly inflation, uh, and some of these other challenges that are already making it challenging to deal with the people side of the business?
and and a lot of that kind of goes back to that notion of the the short term benefit versus long term plan, and and I think ESG um, certainly hits kind of that topic or dynamic um, right in, in the front. And if you take the S, which we we so often kind of focus on the green aspect and the E element and what's happening around um, emissions legislature and and what kind of that net zero footprint should look like. And things like that. But if you start with the focal point uh, on the S side, I think organizations would be surprised to find how far along they actually are um, in in terms of their preparation and readiness for what those requirements are for social responsibility. Uh, A lot of it has founding principles that you would find underneath the core values of most organizations. It's in terms of today's work environment being people first in a lot of ways, when you think about things like employee engagement um, and uh, programs around being a best and brightest or best place to work and in that intersection with brand, a lot of what's happening, having to happen on the S side is more formalization around those things. So if we have programs around um, uh, diversity, equality, and inclusion, are we measuring them? Like we've said that those things are things that are important to us. And we say that we train on them and say that we're employing them, but how are we going to measure that? And so a lot of that is really on in that S standpoint is getting measurable on those things and being able to say at any given point in time, how good uh, or much room for improvement do we have on those different topics in terms of our policy and our behavior matching that policy. When you shift to the E side, um, that is a a lot of um, markets getting educated, a little bit of wait and see, a little bit of understand what is, um, which framework, which standard, which approach makes the most sense. You see um, governments moving in certain directions, you see um, organizational and compliance bodies moving in certain directions, and then you see consumer demand um, and consumer pressure moving in certain directions. And that's a really different perspective, industry to industry, location to location. And that has led to a little bit of a, a freeze. I think folks are trying to figure out what their agenda is, start to set those those long-term um, initiatives in place, and then balance the realities of how do I fund it? Um, what does that look like in terms of um, uh, positioning my investments you know, across things that actually enable people in our products versus this transformation? And that's that E part is the, on the environmental side, I think is where most of that um, debate is happening. And that leaves the G. Um, And on the governance side, uh, I think you're going to see a lot more rigor going into the formality of governance. And what we historically used to think of as um, a risk register, you know, if you went to a public company, you thought about just your 10K and your top risks, and then what mitigations have we taken underneath those things. And a lot of that being fairly... Uh, procedural and superficial that on the G now you have to get a lot more programmatic and detailed that has to be embedded into the way you work, the way you take decisions, have to consider ESG and future climate and social impact. You have to correlate and integrate that discussion with risk, with um, uh, financial risk, commodity risk, operational risk, cyber risk. Uh, ESG is very much just a 
extension of governance, risk, and compliance. And and that's the way organizations need to think about it. Yeah, all great points. I like how you're focusing on, you know, what organizations are already doing. Uh, clearly, there's been a lot of efforts in the diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging space, for example. That's that's an important component. Um, there, there are a lot of things that are built into the core values mission and purpose of an organization. And so ESGs don't necessarily need to be a brand new effort or a brand new initiative. Uh, so we can recognize what we're already doing, what we're already doing well, where there are gaps, what we can do to you know improve on those. Um, I do really like that there's increased levels of accountability uh, for these, these elements um, beyond just the PR component that, you know, over the past, I don't know, decade or two, increasingly, it seems like there's been more of, of that kind of PR expectation that you just, you, whether it's part of your mission or not, you just kind of have to do these things because that's what the, the uh, but that's what employees expect when they're going to work for a company. It's also what consumers expect when they're buying from a company. Um, it moving more into systematic um, governance uh, is, is great uh, and systematizing how we're going about doing these things within our organizations, perhaps things that we only started to do for PR reasons, but now we're, you know, getting more ingrained into the culture and 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 having more meaning behind them. I think all of that has been a good trajectory, good developments. I'm I'm really pleased to see it. But it, like you said, it it really does continue this path of of trying to navigate uh, already complex organizations in an already very messy, complex world, um, and trying to figure out how we're going to do it. And and there's so much unknown um, because we're kind of building the plane the plane while we're flying it. So trying to to Balance all of these things all at once uh, certainly can be a challenge. Uh, Jim, this has just been a great conversation. I know at the time, and I'll need to let you go in a few minutes, but before we wrap things up for today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, how they can find out more about your work, your team, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Sure. Um, so you can find us at www.riskconnect.com um, and, and feel free to contact us there. Uh, we work with some of the largest organizations in the world about how they approach enterprise risk, operational risk, regulatory risk, and compliance, and shape their programs and automate and integrate those programs. And I think that's kind of the the one word maybe we haven't actually chatted about in this conversation, that a lot of these topics are coming from different sources, different pressure points upon the organization, and where progress is being made a lot of that is coming through effective integration of these previous domains that didn't really talk to each other that much inside of organizations. It's taking collaboration between compliance and assurance and risk and operations and the consumer and the supply chain kind of all the way across the ecosystem uh, to put these things together in a way in which they can collectively make progress. Because if any one of them doesn't hold up their end of the bargain or follow through, um, then you see these things stall or, uh, or ineffective. And there are ways to drive transparency, automation, and efficiency in that, that leading organizations, the most resilient organizations, are finding success with. Yeah, well said. Jim, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. I encourage the audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Jim and his team can do for you as you're thinking about all these risk factors and the broader landscape and how it's going to be impacting your organization, your business, and your HR function. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Mm-hmm. 
you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page, and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.